Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, we're continuing our discourse on biblical response to heresy, a biblical response to heresy. And we're defining heresy as uh, teachings that go against orthodoxy, uh, teachings that are contrary to the settled teachings of Scripture, uh, teachings or arguments or philosophy or anything that goes up against what the Bible says is heresy. And so we learn uh, from the scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. That is important. So it is depicting the tools, the weaponry that you and I must uh, engage in And then uh, Paul continues to unpack what this looks like. So he says the weapons that you and I fight with are not weapons of the world. So if they're out of this world, um, if if they don't look like this world, then what does it look like? And Paul tells us, he says, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So what Paul is inferring is that the weapons of humanity, the weapons that the world is used to is predictable, is is physical. And we're talking about tanks and we're talking about missiles. We're talking about guns. We're talking about knives and we're talking about sharp objects and we're talking about uh, things that you can uh, um, detonate. We're talking about uh, uh, crossbows and, and Um, even in ancient times, we're talking about sticks and bows and arrows and things like that. That's what man fights with. But when we become Christians, that's not where the true war lies. The true war lies internally. The true war lies uh, in the metaphysical, not just the physical. So Paul is telling us that when we begin to fight the real war, which is the war of ideas, then we're really in the war. But to try to fight the real war, you have to move from the physical to the metaphysical. And that's what Paul is trying to convey. He said, no, on the contrary, they have divine power, meaning that the war that we, the, the, the weapons that we use as Christians have divine power. Have you ever tried praying instead of reacting in the flesh? Have you considered praying instead of laying your hands on someone? Have you considered praying instead of gossiping? Have you considered praying instead of trying to do something to hurt somebody else? This is where the real war lies in the metaphysical. And when we are able to fight a good fight in the metaphysical, then God is with us. Then God is pleased. So Paul is painting a picture for us that we don't fight like the world do. The world is impetuous. 
The world is reactionary, but we demolish arguments. Verse 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what Paul is saying is, look, the real war lies in the nuos, the mind. When Before we do anything, we think about it. Jesus puts it this way, that before a sin occurs, it's already conceived in the heart. So before we do anything, our minds have been influenced to do it. Before we plan anything, we've already constructed it in our hearts. So we demolish arguments. This is why in the school system, there are those that prescribe to the idea that God didn't create us, that we came about because of natural selection, that we came about because or through the uh, osmosis function of the primordial soup, that we came out of the ocean, that God didn't create us. We're here by chance through the means of natural selection. So as a result of this philosophy, of this worldview, they've uh, legislated it in many cases and put it in the textbooks. So because they don't believe in God, they have uh, yielded to the theory of evolution, which I really don't have time to unpack. But even Darwin um, gave a, a contingency theory in the sense that if we were able to uh, use technological advancement, just like our super microscopes that we have now, and to detect the complexity of nature, then his theory may not hold up. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? We have the technology to prove and demonstrate that his theory did not hold up. So because of people's ideologies and worldviews, they have constructed or put it into action um, lessons to try to indoctrinate our children. So because they don't believe in God, they don't want the children to believe in God, and as a result, they hide behind science, and which is really not science, it's more like junk science, and they have twisted and perverted the objectivity of science in order to prove their point that God does not exist. And we reject that. We reject that. We, we are positioned on every front to uh, bring a subject to what God has given us. So we're pulling down strongholds. That's what Paul says we ought to do. This is a prescriptive text, meaning that it's binding for all Christians. We are pulling down strongholds and every ideology every pedagogy, every worldview that brings itself up against the knowledge of God. So if someone says there's no God, there has to be a Christian to stand up and say, that's not correct. If someone says that the Bible is not true, there have to be a Christian to stand up to say, that's not correct. If uh, we hear arguments that uh, embracing peace is not right or or embracing peace is not a good thing to do then we have to have christians who are able to stand up and say no that's not true if we run into someone who says that uh we should be about hate and not love christians ought to stand up and demolish those arguments so we are thankful 
that God has given us men and women in the past who are able to stand up on behalf of righteousness and demolish the arguments that the devil is throwing at us. So on every front, every front, whether it's biology, whether it's physics, whether um, it's the, uh, um, uh, human, humanism, what, whatever it is, we have to have Christians on every front who are equipped and able and knowledgeable to deal with these anti-God sentiments. And so God is holding all of us uh, um, accountable, all Christians. We are held accountable for giving each man, giving each woman uh, uh, an answer, a reason for the hope that lies within us, and we are to do it with gentleness as well as respect. So that's 2 Corinthians Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5. And on the last episode, we talked about 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Then we even talked about 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, which says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and they understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions. So these are individuals who are doing things that go against uh, doctrine, that goes against godly teaching. And whatever goes against godly teaching that's espoused is heresy. Because heresy left unchecked will pollute the body of Christ. Heresy left unchecked will divide the body of Christ. Heresy left unchecked is like spiritual cyanide. It may taste good, but eventually it will affect your body. Let's look at Acts chapter 17. Uh, There's a scripture that I want us to take a look at. In Acts 17, uh, we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy on their evangelistic journeys. And starting at verse 16, it talks about the philosophers who resided in Athens. And that's what I want to deal with in terms of heresy. Uh, Acts 17, verse 16 says, now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, he's talking about uh, his colleagues, Paul, uh, Timothy and Silas. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So Paul had an evangelistic attitude. If we're going to deal with heresy, we have to position ourselves to be equipped so that when we are confronted with individuals with different teachings, with different mindsets, that we are ready to respond uh, and not run. God doesn't need secret service Christians. God doesn't need Christians who are underground in a sense of their intentions. Uh, Sometimes strategically, you might have to go underground like they did in the first century in order to come back up. We don't stay underground if you're dealing with a social warfare, if you're dealing with a a governmental um, climate that's hostile to Christianity. Sometimes you do have to maneuver, but ultimately we don't stay underground. We come back up in order to allow the light of God to shine in us. So in Acts 17, again, Paul uh, is in Athens 
and he's reasoning in the synagogues, verse 17, with the Jews, as well as with the Gentile worshipers. And in the marketplace, he's there preaching Christ. He's there talking about Christ. He's there meditating. He's there um, looking at what's going on so that he may become spiritually attractive to the citizens and with those who happen to be there. So, so he's ready. He's ready to uh, observe and to evangelize. Then verse 18, then certain Epicureans and Stoics, you all know the Epicureans, they projected or they promoted a pleasure over all else. Uh, sounds very much like America today. They promote pleasure over all else, meaning that their ethics is that it's, it's fun over righteousness. It's fun over God's word. It's, it's, it's fun over uh, righteous living. It's, fine. it's fun over sanctification. It's fun over holiness. And as a result, America is in ethical turmoil because they've promoted relativity over objectivity. And this is why we're in such a mess. So the Epicureans had the same type of doctrine where they constructed their livelihood over fun. And their laws were adjusted to accommodate their sins because fun was promoted and pleasure was uh, promoted over all else. And then the Stoics, you know, the philosophers, uh, those who sit there and uh, philosophize and, and theorize and talk about um, uh, the uh, abstract and, and, and hypothesize about this and hypothesize about that. And there's nothing wrong with philosophizing if you're philosophizing uh, under the parameters of, of divine revelation. If, if you uh, agree or if you are open to God, the transcendent being, uh, being the creator and being part of the picture, being part of the constructs. God has, uh, has representatives throughout the years who are great philosophers, and they still believed in him. They still worship him. So being a philosopher doesn't necessarily mean you have to uh, reject God. So Paul reasoned with them. Paul is reasoning with the Jews. Paul is reasoning with the Gentiles. Paul is reasoning with people in the marketplace. Paul is reasoning with the Epicureans. And Paul is reading with the Stoic philosophers who encountered him. Who encountered him. And so what that tells us is not just reserved for Paul. Whether you're in the grocery market, whether you are at your own home, whether you are at work, whether you're on vacation, we have to be ready to allow God to use us because we don't know who's going to come into our path. And God wants us to uh, give those people our apologia. And then the other thing is, in this story, this narrative is introducing us to heresy. It's introducing us to what these people thought in the first century. And I already shared that the uh, uh, heresy with the Epicureans was their uh, desire to put pleasure over everything else. And we can't operate that way, right? Just because uh, you can't control yourself uh, through sexual purity doesn't mean we need to condone you going outside of your marriage. Just because you can't discipline yourself as a single person and you're, you confess to be in Christ 
doesn't mean that you can just go and fornicate and God is fine with it. So we all have parameters that God has set for us. And this teaching of uh, yielding or succumbing to your fleshly desires is a bad trend because emotions are notoriously unreliable. The flesh cannot be trusted. You may feel this way today, and then tomorrow you feel a different way. This is why you can't trust the flesh. The flesh is notoriously unreliable. And because um, we confess to know Christ, we can't operate in the flesh, meaning that we can't allow the flesh to be our God. We can't let the flesh to be uh, our influencer. We, we can't depend on the flesh. That's the bottom line. So Paul is dealing with these ideologies, the, 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 these teachings, and he's confronting them. And in verse uh, 18, it says, he ran into the Epicureans and the Stoics philosophers, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? They're calling him names. He's a babbler. Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. So again, just because you're living for Jesus, just because you are preaching sound doctrine doesn't mean that others will embrace you necessarily. Some may, some may not. But long as you're living for Jesus, long as you are being obedient to the gospel, you'll be fine because God is with you. And it doesn't matter if you face ad hominem attacks. And ad hominem attacks is just a a philosophical term uh, basically describing how people try to distract from the argument by calling you names. And they call Jesus names. Uh, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So just because he was born in Nazareth, some had already discounted him. So if they call Jesus name, and uh, they, uh, and and they persecuted him. Definitely, we that are associated with Christ will also be called names, and we also may face persecution. So, in this case, they were calling Paul a babbler, right? Someone who just who who's just talking. It's empty talk. Others said he seemed to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. So now they're assuming that he's worshiping false idols for him to talk this way. Because he talked about Jesus and the resurrection. And really, that's the core of our message as Christians, is Jesus and the resurrection. There's no other name under heaven by which men or women can be saved by the name of Jesus. And the resurrection is the symbolic act. Not, it's not mythological, but it's this actual historical facts that Jesus rose up on the third day. And there were eyewitnesses who saw him. And this is why uh, I often bring this up when we're talking about uh, theology and we're talking about the trustworthiness of Bible claims. Uh, sure, we can talk about uh, consubstantiation and transubstantiation. We can talk about uh, the uh, uh, unification between Jesus' flesh and Jesus' hum- uh, 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 divinity. Yes, we can talk about a lot of uh, apologetic subjects and a, t- a, po- a lot of theological subjects, but at the end of the day, it is the resurrection that stands alone. The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus the Christ, and he did not 
raised up spiritually. He rose up physically. And it's the resurrection that serves as the symbol for all of us in the sense that we died from the old nature and we are saved through Christ with the new nature. So Jesus work on the cross has residual effect even to uh, uh, contemporary times, which means that the act of the atonement uh, or the power from the atonement is still accessible in today, uh, in today's culture, in today's times. The, 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 the same power that raised up Jesus is accessible to all who wishes to have a relationship with him today. So uh, we have to make sure that we don't forget about the resurrection. The resurrection is the hallmark of our belief, a hallmark of our testimony. And so they are doubting uh, Paul. They're calling him names and they are making um, assumptions that are not true. And they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus. And the Areopagus, uh, for those that are listening to me, the Areopagus was known both in Greek culture as well as Roman culture. Uh, in Greek culture, it was the hill of Ares. And in um, Roman culture, it was reframed to be called the Areopagus. And this uh, place, the Areopagus, this is where they went to philosophize. This is where they went to talk about social and philosophical things, to unscramble the world around them. Um, this is like the market square. So this Areopagus, um, this is where they could discuss all the various philosophies and religions of the time. And in the Greek, uh, uh, as I said, uh, they did the same thing. So things such as the criminal uh, acts or criminal legislation or civil and religious issues were all addressed at the Areopagus. So it was a famous place where people that could think would go and uh, postulate and theorize, as I said before. So he went to the Areopagus saying, uh, they asked him, they said, Paul, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, right? It's a new doctrine to them because their doctrine is heretical. Their doctrine um, of, of polytheism is heretical. This whole notion of there's more than one way to get to heaven, this is a heretical doctrine. Uh, they are those uh, a few people who've come through the church who've uh, attempted to tell us that it's okay that we all believe different things because at the end we are going to wind up in the same place. This is polytheism and this is a form of pluralism and we must reject it. This is heretical teaching and Paul will help us to better understand uh, what's, how to react to those type of teachings. Well, our time has come to a close, and we thank you for listening to Sound Reasoning Radio Show. And we thank you all for your prayers, and we thank you so much for all that you are doing to help with kingdom building. And as always, uh, we need your financial support. Uh, many of you listen to us, and we just pray that you consider becoming a monthly supporter. And before we close, I wanted to again reiterate or uh, invite you all to the 2022 Apologetics Boot Camp, which is Saturday, April 30th, 9 to 11 a.m. And we will have uh, breakout classes for sixth grade through college students. Uh, and uh, we will also have a track for adults. So all of you can come. 
Uh, parents, we strongly encourage you to come. Grandparents, please bring your children. Uh, parents, come for yourself. Uh, we have dynamic classes that will minister and edify you as we all learn how to stand up for the faith. So remember to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. God bless. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. Hi, I'm Zach. And I'm Randy. And we're from Salty Saints Podcast. We're a theology and apologetics podcast. To find out more, subscribe at lifeaudio.com.